in our Westminster Shorter Catechism, you will all know, I think, or at least most of you will, or if not, you should know, let's put it that way, the question and answer to the first question, right? what is the chief end of man, written in the 1640s, so the language is, uh, you know, we don't speak this way anymore, what is the chief end of anything, but the chief end meaning what is the primary goal, purpose, tell us, of man, what, was, what were we made for, in other words, what is the chief end of man, and you will know the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I love the fact that, even, you know, we think, of, we think of the Puritans, we think of folks in the 1640s perhaps as a little stodgy, but, uh, but isn't it wonderful that as they conspired together to write the, uh, the confession and the catechism, uh, that they didn't just say man was, you know, man's chief end is to glorify God. That would have sufficed. I think we'd all admit, like, yeah, it makes sense. But they said man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Today we come to Psalm 100 and we're, we've been making our way through book four of the Psalms. Um, and we're in a series of Psalms. We know that these Psalms are glorious. They are like mountaintop Psalms, all of them, uh, starting in, in Psalm 90 and 91. But they're all, but these last few have been calling us not only to appreciate the, the rain of our God, the fact that he reigns, but they've all been psalms, these last few, calling us into worship, calling us to bow before the Lord our God, calling us to praise him and to sing unto him. And of course, no different today in Psalm 100, the classic uh, and climactic psalm calling us to praise God and to come and worship him. And in some sense, I think it's worth us considering here that, you know, this is one thing that I think even atheists, you know, they, uh, uh, a rock they throw at the, at the faith is what kind of God is this that has to call people to love him? That has to call people to constantly come worship me, worship me, worship me. What if, you know, what if anyone, if any human did that, uh, just adore me, adore me, love me, uh, praise me. Um, we'd, we'd say, you know, it's an egomaniac. Um, and there, and there are those who who use this. Uh, I think um, this uh, repetitive call in the scriptures to come and to worship um, as an argument uh, uh, in opposition to, to the faith, or at least again a stone to throw at the faith. And yet, as we say in our own catechism, this we believe that this is the end for which we were made. You know, it, 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 the the earth the earth must orbit the sun. Like if the earth gets any strange ideas and decides perhaps we will, we will not orbit the sun. This is tedious orbiting the sun. Why do we have to always orbit the sun? Why has the sun got to be the center of everything? Uh, and we decide, you know what, we're going to go a different way. It will not end well for us, right? It just, the, the, the earth is meant to orbit the sun. And so long as it orbits the sun, it will thrive. It, it, will, it will be what it was meant to be. But if it gets half cocked, ideas to leave the orbit, it will be destroyed. It'll freeze. It'll literally freeze over. And brothers and sisters, you and I were meant to orbit God. And we have to be summoned back to it because we do, as we've already confessed in our, in our uh, confession of sin today, it is our nature now in Adam to have half-cocked ideas about flying out of orbit. This is what sin is. Sin is the desire to set anything else at the center of our orbit, to orbit anything other than God, 
We want anything other than the sun. When Adam and Eve were tempted, this was the temptation, right? You, 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 why orbit the sun? Why does God have to be the center of everything? The day you eat, you will not surely die. If you fly out of orbit, you will not die. In fact, if you fly out of orbit, you will really thrive. You'll be like him. You'll be a son. That was the lie. That was the lie. Just God knows he's holding you in this slavery of orbit. But if you just be your own man, if you just go do your own thing, you can be a son. And of course, that was death to us. We were meant to orbit God. It is for our good. It is what we were made to do. And we must be summoned back to it because of our instincts to fly off. And I think that's important because we're used to hearing the call to praise him, praise him, praise him. But, but sometimes it's worth hearing it, again, maybe through an outsider's ear. What kind of God has to constantly call us to praise him? Well, the kind of God who has losers for his people, that's who. The kind of God who has people who are so idiotic that we will put anything else at the center of our lives, who decide we will fly away from the sun. The God who has those kind of people is the God who has to say, no, 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 stay here, stay with me. Stay here. Stay in the orbit, not because, oh, I, I need to have my ego inflated, but because you need to be here. You need to be around the orbit of the sun. Brothers and sisters, you need to be here today. You need to ensure by his grace that your life is orbiting the Lord. For anything else is death. And yet the lie, we, you know, we can very easily cartoonize what happened in the Garden of Eden. But I assure you the temptation is no less to you than it was to Adam to find anything other than God to center your life around and to tell you that if you do it, you will have life. You will thrive. If you just get a little more money in your bank account, if you just get that promotion, if you just get that retirement, if you just get that good diagnosis, if you just get this, these things become the center of our lives, the things we pursue. And if you just get that, then you're going to thrive. Just take your eyes off of the sun. Get out of the orbit of the sun and orbit your life around something else. And you'll be happy. You'll be satisfied. It is the exact same temptation as it was to Adam and Eve. And we must guard ourselves against that. We need psalms like Psalm 100 that call us here to recalibrate, to center ourselves again, to make sure that we are in proper orbit. For you are made to glorify God. That's what you are made to do. And to enjoy him forever. So Psalm 100 is a call to worship. It's the classic call to worship. And I want us to think this morning really about two things, the what and the why of worship. And in the what, I'm going to tuck in a little how there because the scriptures tell us how, right? The what is come, all right? The how is joyfully. And then we'll talk about the why as well. But let's just, let's break this down because the, the, this psalm breaks down very nicely. We kind of get the, the what, why, what, why. What? Verses one and two. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. That's the what. And then again in verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and to bless his name. So verses 1, 2, and 4, we get the what. 
And then in verses 3 and 5, we'll get the why. Know that he, excuse me, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And then in verse 5, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. So we get what, why, what, why. Very nice structure here for us. So let's think about the what very simply. What is this psalm commanding us to do? What do you and I need to hear today? It is, well, the what of this command is come. (laughs) Come and worship. First, make a joyful shout to the Lord. Secondly, notice all of the commands. We got all of these exhortations, all of these imperatives. Make, serve, come, know, enter. And there's another one I skipped in there somewhere. Make a joyful shout to the Lord. Serve the Lord, which is another way of saying, remember, uh, Hebrew poetry works this way, right? We, we say it, and then we come back and we say it again, and the two play off each other, and they're both kind of saying the same thing, but from little bits of different angles, and that helps us get a good grasp on things. Serving the Lord in this case means worshiping him, singing to him, offering our offerings up to him, our prayers to him. But of course, it extends beyond that just as worship does, right? It's not like this is like a quarantined area for worship. So, okay, we're in here. All right, let's get to it. Let's worship. And then when we leave out of here, okay, let's get back to life. Again, man's chief end is to glorify God. It's what you and I are to do. This is not just what worship services should look like, though worship services are like this concentrated, intentional, liturgical, communal worship. But the worship of God, the glorifying of God, the serving of God extends beyond these walls. It's what you are to do. It's what your life should be in your vocation, in your family, in your recreation, in your leisure, right? In, in your eating, in your drinking. I mean, Paul, Paul gets down to the nitty gritty in 1 Corinthians 10 when he says, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Like if you're eating and drinking, need to be done to the glory of God, then what does not need to be done to the glory of God? He doesn't say like whether you whether you share the gospel or go to the mission field, do it all to the glory of God. Right? Sort of these big service things. No, he's like eating it. He could have said whether you breathe or whether you hold your breath, whether you sleep or whether you wake. It, it doesn't, it's like the point is everything. You are to serve the Lord. This is to be the lens through which you and I view everything we do, not just spiritual things, not just Christian things, life. It is all enlisted. It is all service to God. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, O ye lands. Serve him with gladness. Well, that's the how, so we'll get there. Come. So here is the coming. We, we serve him in everything we do, but there are also times to gather before his house, right? To dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come before his presence with singing. And again in verse four, enter with thanksgiving into his gates. Okay, so the what of what we're commanded to do here, again, is serve him, worship him. It is what you and I were made for, what we were commanded to do and what we are made for. Now, let's think about the how. And it's wonderful, right? It's not just shout before the Lord. How should you do it? You should make a joyful shout before the Lord. Yes, you are to serve him, but how? Well, with gladness. Yes, you are to come before him, but how? With singing. I love this. I have to remind my students all the time because we do a lot of singing at Chapel Field. We've done more and more 
but I have to remind them, singing is not an option for a Christian. It is what we are commanded to do. Christians sing. And singing is like music. I, I remind them that you can say something. I'm, I'm saying all kinds of things to you right now. And it's not particularly beautiful, right? The, my, the way I'm saying it. And you're, you're, you're listening and you're grabbing some things. And, but if we take something we write or say and then we put it into poetry, it's like honey. You know, it's like taking, it's, it's, it's like maple syrup. It's taking the sap from a sugar maple and then condensing it down into something really beautiful, really tasty, right? Poetry is concentrated truth. It's, it's multi-layered. It's beautiful, right? It has a great aesthetic quality. And then music takes that to another level. And that's what we're to bring before the Lord. We are to come before the Lord joyfully. This should not be something we do begrudgingly. It's like this is burning up a couple hours of my weekend. I only get this, I only get these two days, and I'm gonna have to burn up uh, you know, part of my day worshiping the Lord. We might feel like that, but we ought to repent. I, as I confessed, the one thing we ought to desire is to gaze upon his beauty, but let's confess that we do not. Okay, so we have repenting to do. It's not to be begrudging, nor is service to the Lord. I've got to even eat and drink to his glory? Golly. We're to do it with gladness. Again, because when you're doing what you were meant to do, right? When you see a bird, you ever just see a bird flying? Maybe, maybe I love birds of prey, so I like, I like watching hawks. You just see a hawk just circling in the air, just gliding on the breeze. And you just realize, yeah, that's what that thing was meant. You just see it being a hawk. It's like, that's what hawks do. And it's a thing of beauty. Well, again, it really takes some faith to believe this. What you were made to do is to glorify God. And when you're doing it, it's a thing of beauty. And we should be glad about it. It should not be great. The hawk doesn't go, golly, I've got to fly. Man, why can't I walk like everybody else? Why can't I swim like the fish? No, the hawk was meant to fly and to soar, and you and I were meant to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The earth was meant to orbit the sun. This is not a chore. It's a delight. We get to be what we were meant to be. We will thrive. And so we make a joyful shout to the Lord. We serve him with gladness. We come into his presence with singing. We enter, verse 4, his gates with thanksgiving. So how ought we to worship? Joyfully, gladly, singingly. It's not really an adverb, but singingly, with thanksgiving. And it's interesting to me, by the way, in verse 4, that he doesn't say, enter into his gates, and then when you hear the sermon and when you get convicted, then start thanksgiving. He says, enter with thanksgiving. That is to say that we come right in with thankful hearts, right? We don't have to conjure up thanksgiving. We are to be, this is the command. And again, in as much as we fall short, we ought to repent. That's what the word of God does to it. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a sword, a two-edged sword that goes in and it, it, it cuts to heal. So if you're like, I did not come in here with thanksgiving, then fine, let the word of God cut you to heal you. Repent. And acknowledge your lack of thanksgiving. 
acknowledge the fact that we are like spoiled children who receive, who have an unbelievably wealthy father who bestows so many gifts on us that we become numb to them. And in some ways, they even bore us. And rather than giving thanks, many times we just seize the gift and run off and play with it, never acknowledging the gift giver. Let's see, we can acknowledge that. And therefore, our hearts are not filled with thanksgiving. And so we should pray and we should ask the Lord, Father, give me a heart filled with thanksgiving. Give me eyes that see the multitude of gifts that, as the Apostle Paul says, you have lavished upon me. Rather than getting so burdened down by all the problems we have to deal with. I, I, again, I was convicted of this myself this week. Just, I'm worried about all this COVID stuff. I'm worried about all the regulations that are coming down. I'm, I'm whining. I'm whining at school, and I'm the leader, so that's really bad. Because if I whine, I set the tone, right? And I realize, because I'm an oral processor, so that's really not good oftentimes in leaders because they're telling everybody all your thoughts, and it's like, no, 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 Bill, Bill. Keep that to yourself. Don't tell us all your anxieties. <laughs> going to get us all nervous. But, I'm, but I'm, I'm running around whining instead of being grateful for the fact that what I get to do for a living is, is train up children to be men and women of God. What an awesome privilege. Like, stop whining about all the potential problems and, like, get after the work that's before you. Okay, but because I lack gratitude. I lack thankfulness. We're to serve him with gladness. We're to enter his gates with thanksgiving. That's how we're to come in here, and that should also characterize our worship as we come. So what are we commanded to do by this? Glorify him, worship him. How are we to do it? with thankful hearts, with joy, and that will be expressed in singing. Praise God for uh, uh, small in number. Uh, you, you are always so robust in the singing. Praise be to God. Now let's think about the why. And this is important to know, right? Because it's not just, well, just do it. You know, you ask your parents when your kids, why do you have to do something? They say, because I told you, <laughs> because I said it. Okay, there's a truth to that. But that's not what we have in this. It's not like, do this just because God said to do it. There is a why. There is something that will be like wind in your sails for worship. So let's think about it in verses 3 and 5. What do we do? Worship. How? Joyfully, gladly, with singing, with thanksgiving. Okay, or how? Yeah, now why? And I want to think about this in two prongs, verse 3 and then in verse 5. So let's think first. Verse 3, no. The Lord, he is God. So in, in verses 1 and 2, make, serve, come, and then we get another exhortation. And this is the one exhortation that is not sort of just calling us to come, but it's, it's telling us what to do as we come. And that is, as you come, as you make a joyful noise, as you serve him, as you enter, know something. This is beautiful. This is the tying together of head and heart. My job up here and our job in worship and our job as Christians is not just to conjure good feelings. It's to know something. And if we know this, it will bear the fruit of the feelings. It will bear the fruit of joy. So verse 3, know this. Know that the Lord, he is God. And notice Lord is all caps there. Right? When you see in your, in your Old Testament translations, this, again, this is a translation from Hebrew, right? When you see the translation in your Bible, Lord with all caps, that is using the formal name of the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh. 
That's his name. This is the name that is given in Exodus 3 when Moses says, well, when I go back to Pharaoh and the people of God and I tell him you sent me, who shall I say sent me? And he says, you tell him I am sent you. That's this. I am. This is my name. Know that Yahweh, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So first prong of why we do this gladly, joyfully, with thanksgiving, and why we come at all, number one, because he is God. He is God. He is the son. And you are not. So first, there's just a propriety Right? He is God. He is worthy of all your praise, all your adoration. He is worthy of every second of your attention. You come knowing this. The Lord is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves, i.e. everything you are and everything you have is of him. There is not one self-made man or woman in this room. Everything you have is of him. He made you. You are dirt. Don't be insulted by it. It's right there in Genesis 2. He reached into the dust of the earth and he formed you. You are amazing dirt. Okay, so be encouraged. Right? You're beautiful dirt. Okay? You're very gifted dirt. You're image of God dirt. But you are the dust of the earth. You are not responsible. I mean, on some providential level, you are responsible for what you've done in the, and under the superintendence of God. But it is so important in this psalm that we are reminded because we are in the image of God and you feel God-like. And again, the temptation is always there from Satan that you could be God. You want to be master of your own destiny. But this psalm reminds us you are not. You are the earth Orbit the sun. He is God. And it is he who made us and not we ourselves. And then let's ratchet up one notch more. We are his people. And the sheep of his pasture. That is, not only is it that he made us, he owns us. We're his. Paul says it this way. Your life is not your own. You have been bought with a price. Not only are you his because he made you, but then you rebelled against him and, and earned his judgment and he redeemed you from that judgment. You're twice bought. Are you okay with that? To the non-believer, this is a great offense. I'm not owned by anybody. I'm no one's. This is the arrogance of mankind. We want to be our own. Don't tell me anybody owns me, not even God. But the scriptures are clear. Your life is not your own. You have been made by this God and you owe him glory and thanksgiving. And you've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ and you owe him praise for that as well. So what are we to do? Worship him. How joyfully? Why? Because he's God. But then notice in verse 5, it's not just, well, because he's God, though, that, that would be enough. Again, that would be sufficient, right? 
It's not just that he made you and you're his, but there's more. Unbelievably and graciously, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. I wonder when when this psalm was written and it said in verse 3, you know, because he's God and and um uh and he made us and not we ourselves and we are the his people, the sheep of his pasture. What came to their mind when they think shepherd? Well, maybe Psalm 23, the Lord is our shepherd. What a what a wonderful shepherd we have. See, if you know who this God is, there's nothing more joyful than to be told you're owned by him. Because what kind of shepherd is he? What kind of God is he? What kind of father is he? What kind of king is he? Because that's what shepherd means, king. The Lord's my shepherd, I I will not want. David just says that as as a statement of faith. If he's my shepherd, one thing I know is I will never want. He leads me into green pastures. He, he, he leads me beside the still waters, even through the valley of the shadow of death. Now he switches to second person. You are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I, even, even my worst enemies, I'm allowed to sit and eat because you will fight for me. My cup runs over with blessing. I'm going to dwell in your house forever. So perhaps they thought of that shepherd and what a wonderful shepherd that is in Psalm 23. But think about you and me now. When you're told you are the sheep of his pasture, what do you think of when you think of shepherd? Do you think of John 10? Because whatever they understood about shepherd, they did not understand this. Because it's not, we don't learn about this kind of shepherd until we meet Jesus. And now in John 10, Jesus comes along and he says, I'm the shepherd. I'm the shepherd. And you're the sheep of my pasture. And then he says this mind-blowing statement. And not only am I the shepherd, I am the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd does something that you don't think any good shepherd does. What good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep? Who cares about the sheep that much? Like the sheep are there for the shepherd. You don't lay your life down for the sheep. You kill the sheep and eat them. Or maybe you take their wool, but they're there to serve you. But Jesus turns the whole thing upside down. He says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd actually lays his life down for the sheep. Why do we worship him? Because he's God. But you know why else? Because as God, he's this kind of God. He's good. He's rich in mercy. He's a God like any of the other would-be gods of the nations. And that's why this call in this psalm is for all lands to bow before him because he is the one true God. There's no God like Jehovah. All the gods of the nations demand the service of the people, but no God, no God takes on flesh and lays down his life for the sake of his sheep and for the sake of his people. We worship him because he's God, but we worship him because he's good and he's merciful and he's faithful. He said he would do it and he did it. He sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Abundant life. 
Jesus says. This is what he has come to give us, and as such, we ought to worship him, to fly out of the orbit of this God is absolute disaster. But if we stay in the orbit of this God, we will not only glorify him, but we will indeed enjoy him forever. Because there's no God like Jehovah, rich in mercy and abounding in loving kindness. Come and worship him with joyful singing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you alone are God. Father, we are tempted to think of ourselves as gods. Oftentimes, we shirk your rule. We acknowledge it. But Heavenly Father, we thank you that the gravitational pull of you toward us, Father, you pulling us is a gift to us. Keep us from flying out into outer darkness where there is no life. Keep us by your spirit in your presence. Fill our hearts with joy. Give us a spirit of repentance if the joy is lacking. And if the, the distractions, the idolatrous distractions overwhelm us. Help us know that you are God. And as such, you are unbelievably good. Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for your abiding love toward us. We give you all praise, honor, and glory now and forevermore. Amen.